thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel, chapter 19. If you're new to our fellowship here, we go through the Bible when we teach, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, which means when we start a book of the Bible, we're going to go all the way through and end the book of the Bible. And the topics that we cover, the topics that we cover will come from the text. And on occasion, we do have these topical series, which we will probably have after we finish the Gospel of John, before we get into the book of Hebrews. But for the most part, we go through the Bible together, and we're in John chapter 19, picking up in verse 25, where we left off last time. It says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus is hanging on a Roman cross as this unfolds. And artists throughout the centuries have tried to capture the intensity and the agony and the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. Maybe even in your own imagination, you have attempted to try to think through Man, what did it look like and what would it must have been? And yet everything that we come up with falls short of the intense agony and pain that Jesus is going through in the last breaths of his earthly life. And the scene unfolds in these final breaths with his mom there, standing with other women and John. Don't you love how John always describes himself in verse 26? He, is, he wants us to make sure that we understand that he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. When he describes Peter, he says, that's Peter. And when he describes other people, he calls them by name. But when he describes himself, he doesn't say me. He says the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this is an episode of love where Jesus entrusts the care of his mom to the man that loves him and the man that he loves. In these final moments, under intense pain and agony, Jesus is thinking of others. I mean, really, in the totality of his time hanging on the cross, the weight of the heart of Jesus in his mind is for others. Forgiveness and love and care. History tells us and tradition says that Mary did go home with John to live for another 11 years. First in Jerusalem, then in the city of Ephesus. And after another 11 years, Mary dies and joins her son and savior in eternity. Now I know for some of you to hear those words conflict with the way you were raised. Because in the Roman Catholic Church, there is that doctrine that is not biblical that says that Mary never died. She did die. She died and her sins were forgiven by the very son that she bore, hanging on the cross before her now. And she did die and enter into eternity to live forever with God. Now I'm sure when you read the Bible, and if you don't, I would encourage you to personalize it. 
As you're reading through, it's not just a history of something that happened 2,000 years ago, and it's not just Jesus and his mom, but I want you, as you're reading through the scriptures, to picture yourself in the true story that you're reading. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally and practically and powerfully in what you are reading. And as I was going through this text and praying over it, I have to say that this passage is very convicting for me. Now, I have to say it's not convicting in one way, but it is convicting in another way. My parents have gone on to be with the Lord. They have has their, have their homecoming along with my son and many others in our family in the presence of the Lord, saved by faith, forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. My parents have passed on, but in the last few years of their lives, as they were getting ill uh, in Southern California, we would call often and say, hey, would you guys just come live with us? Would you just come move out here? We'll take good care of you and take care of all of your needs and all you just come out and live with us. And my dad at the time said, no, son, we're gonna stay out here. We're gonna make a go of it. Thank you very much for your offer, but no thank you. And, and he got ill and moved on and passed on into eternity. As I was, some of you guys were with us, I kept making trips back and forth to go take care of him. And when my dad passed on, my mom, we really, really said, mom, you gotta come out. I mean, we'll take care of you. We'll build out our basement and we'll make it a little apartment for you. And we even talked to her about getting that chair, you know, that chair on the stairs, you know, and put it on the stairs. And I could already see her, you know, getting up the stairs because she had a hard time with the stairs. And she said, no, son, it's not going to happen. And I was making trips back and forth to take care of her. And, and finally, um, she passed on and went on to be with the Lord. So I'm not convicted in the sense that I'm ready to take care of my parents because at any moment, man, that, that, is, that was our heart's desire. Marie and I agreed on that years and years and years ago while they were still healthy. But I'll tell you how I am convicted. When I read this text... And I try to imagine in my mind watching it. When I'm in pain and agony or difficulty, caring for others isn't always my first response. Thinking of others isn't, my always, isn't always my first response. As a matter of fact, the, the, the more difficult the situation, it seems as if the more I think of myself, more and others less. Where, where pain can just pull you out of the moment. I mean, suffering and pain has an absorbing quality to it. It has the power to so easily make you and me self-absorbed in the difficulties that are upon us. Self rises up very rapidly and very quickly to satisfy self. Selfishness, self-centeredness, self-absorption. Everything about self is, is inflamed during a time of great difficulty. And God can see, be so easily dethroned in our lives in the midst of pain. It's hard to think that in the middle of going through something difficult, to think of anyone or anything else. And your mind will just run and run and run. And before you know it, you're no longer in the moment. And, and you are overwhelmed, not just by the situation, but by all the sinful decisions that come with it. I think of Job. Job is that man that we're given in the scriptures to see insight in a very real way to the pain in someone's life. And Job was, was at such a downtime in his life that he cursed the very day that he was born. I mean, he lost everything. He was described as a very just man, 
praying for his kids that seemed to not be walking with the Lord and he lost his business, he lost his possessions, he lost his children, he lost his health. I mean, in, 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 in extraordinary, dramatic ways. And I can understand, he would just get, man, why was I ever born to go through this? His wife, we get a little bit of insight in his wife. His wife experienced the same losses with the exception of the sickness, but the man that she loves and the man that she serves is going through great sickness. You know, the sores were so bad that he was scraping them with pieces of, of pottery. I mean, he, this family was under intense attack, and what was her heart in the midst of all this? She told Job to curse God and die. Jesus, in the last breaths of his life, is filled with the love of the Father, pleasing the Father here. And in this text, I find both encouragement and conviction. Encouraged to see that it's possible. Jesus shows us a better way. He shows us a better way in our pain. The first response was love for those that he cared for, especially his mom. But what a blessing it would be for John as well to take care of his mom and to be available. We don't get the tenderness in the English translation here because of the words that are used, you know, his mother. And in our culture, mother is more of a technical word, more of a, more of a word that's used formally for our moms. My, I'm growing up, I call my mom, mom. You may have had a word that you used to describe your mom, and in some cases, it might have been mother. It was a very formal relationship. Uh, it says here that when Jesus saw his mother, and then you come to verse 26, and he says, woman, behold your son. I mean, it all depends on how you read this. But the word, the word for woman is not some mean-spirited. It's actually tender and close. This is a very intimate moment, besides the fact that Jesus is beaten beyond recognition, shedding his blood for the sins of those that were in front of him. It's a very tender moment. He says, take care of my mom. Take care of my mom. Here's your son, and here's your mom. And he says, from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. You can jot it down in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Just don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. We're the body of Christ. We're the family of God. We're not an institution or a location. This happens to be a gathering place of the church. The building isn't the church. And there is great joy and great freedom that's expressed when we love and serve one another, when we take care of one another, when we get involved in each other's lives and serve in a way where through love that we're serving one another, sacrificing ourselves, what a sacrifice it must have been for John to take responsibility of someone else's mom. And here he is on the cross, fulfilling prophecy as we've seen in the previous weeks. There's so much being fulfilled, so much being fulfilled in the life of Jesus and those around him that was predicted so many years prior. Let me give you an example. I want to introduce you to a man by the name of Simeon. Because we have a lot to learn from Simeon. Come back with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, when Simeon meets Mary and Joseph and Jesus at the temple. Luke chapter 2. Pick up with me in verse 25. 
as we read, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the salvation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, you may not use that language today. He was promised by God, revealed by the Holy Spirit, that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And now that we know who Messiah is, he would not die until he saw the Father's Son, Jesus Christ. That was God's promise to him. And he came, verse 27, by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon spent a majority of his life waiting to see with his own eyes Messiah. It wasn't just a distant promise from the scriptures, but God came to him and said, you're going to see him personally, and you're going to see him before you die. And God gave him a promise. What did he do with the promise? He lived it. He didn't just believe it. He just didn't receive it. He lived it. And I can imagine him at the temple area being very careful to look at every baby and young child that came in the area just to be able to look and make sure and check in. Is this the one? Is this the one? He waited for the promise. He wanted the promise. He was watching for the promise. Which brings to us a question today. And it's very simple, and it needs to be asked, and it's this. How do you respond to the promises of God in your life? Do you allow God's promises to change you? I mean, you're reading through the scriptures and God gives you a scripture. Somebody sends you a promise that God is with you. Uh, fear not. On and on the list goes of promise after promise after promise of God. And what do you do? Because I've met people that can quote the promises of God. And, and they're really good with saying, yeah, God gave me this. And, God, and they're quoting the promises of God. I've even met people that would stand on the promises of God. Where if a difficult time comes, they'll come back and go, you know, I know God gave this to me years ago. I've met people that can sing the promises of God as we sing scriptures or the truths throughout the songs that we're led in or the music that we listen to. But I've also met people that quote the, the promises, stand on the promises, sing the promises, and act on them. That's the key. To act on the promises of God. To walk in the strength of the Lord. Simeon teaches us that when God gives us a promise, it will come to pass, whether we wait on it or not. But as he's waiting and watching and working and living and expecting, he sees Messiah, and he's so excited. Now, he says, you're letting me depart in peace. I've seen your salvation. And then notice verse 33. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. 
Well, this baby does grow up, this child. He grows up to the time where we are in John 19 to hang on a Roman cross. And it's true, his life would cause many to rise and many to fall. Who would be the ones that rise? The ones that place their faith in him and trust him for the forgiveness of their sins. They, really, we, we use the phrase forgiveness of sins because it's huge, but, but here's what you're trusting him. You're trusting him with your life. It is an all-in decision. There are benefits of this trust, the forgiveness of sin, the removal of guilt and shame, purpose and direction. There are many benefits, but our surrender is not for the benefits. Our surrender is because of love. Because of love. Many rise and fall. Who falls? Well, those that reject him. The Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. And yet the Bible also says that God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Notice the next thing in verse 35 of Luke 2. He says this in parentheses. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now, Joseph and Mary are there, but who is Simeon speaking to? Well, it says in verse 34 that he's talking to Mary. And he's telling Mary, God's going to use your boy going to do dramatic things. People are, lives are going to be changed. Nations are going to be saved. Forgiveness is going to flow. And for you, Mary, a sword's going to go through your heart. And here Mary is watching her son on the cross in the final hours of his life. Whether it happened at this moment or it's been the whole time, whether it represents a, a moment in time or it represents a long period of time, here Mary has the greatest pain that she's ever experienced in her life. We know that there's going to be a literal sword put into the side of Jesus not too long from now, back in John 19. But here's another prophecy, another prediction that God brought to pass in the life of Mary. No doubt a hard thing to hear and an even harder thing to experience. She didn't know what it meant when he said it, but would soon understand. Here she is at the foot of the cross, experiencing the greatest pain that she's ever had in her entire life up to this point. So Jesus, back in John 19, he is caring for his mom, setting an example for us in great agony and pain and torturous difficulty. Love is flowing, caring for his mom, handing her over to the care of the apostle John, the disciple that Jesus loved. John took her home to care for her. It's a beautiful thing. Let me ask you a question. In caring for Jesus' mom, how many people did Jesus need? You can yell it out. How many people do you think he needed to take care of his mom? I say just one. Just one. He chose just one. He chose one person to take care of his mom, even though there were other people there. There was her sister there. There were other women there. It's striking that Jesus doesn't choose his own half-brothers and sisters to take care of their mom. He entrusts them to this disciple, to John, a new spiritual family. And by the way, Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 13, uh, did have half-brothers and half-sisters. Mary and Joseph came together in regular marital relations and had other children. But they weren't chosen. Neither was her sister standing there next to her. It was... It was John. 
And all he needed was one. And we're reminded today of the power of one. The power of one in your life and mine. You are so important to God. Listening to me now, whether you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ or you are in rebellion against Jesus Christ, God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. It is not a biblical truth to say that God only loves some people and he doesn't love others. He demonstrated his love for us with Jesus Christ paying the price for our sins. He demonstrated his love for us that even when we were still yet dead in our trespasses and sins, or another place that talks about Jesus Christ dying for the ungodly, love was proven and demonstrated for you and for me. God loves you. Now, the last time I looked it up in Google, uh, it was probably a couple weeks ago when I was putting this study together, 7.21 billion people inhabit the planet Earth. 7.21 Two one billion people. That is a, a lot of people, and the number keeps increasing over and over, but seven billion people are on the planet, and yet he knows you personally. I mean, you're one of seven billion people that are li- alive right now, and you have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And you think of the billions that have come before us, and how many billions will come after us, and God knows you. The intimacy of relationship that God has with us is described in some interesting ways. One of them is, he knows you and I so well that he knows the number of hairs on your head. Some of you more, and some of you less, but he knows. He knows. I mean, you don't even know. You think you know yourself well? You don't even know yourself well because you don't know how many hairs are on your head. You've never counted them. And if you start at one, two, three, four, oh, I messed up, and you got to start over. And if you count before you go to bed, if you wake up in the morning, the number's going to be wrong. But God in intimacy and closeness, as I was thinking, reading recently of Jesus teaching us, he said, look at the birds, how your father takes care of them. You're more valuable than birds. Look at the flowers, how pretty they are and how beautifully arrayed, but you're more important than the flowers. Seven billion people and God knows me? He intervened in my little life? He, he intervened in, in the, the future of what he wanted to accomplish in my life? He interrupted my life and revealed his son to me and to you? You are known and loved by, of the, by God, creator God, the God of all ages. And in a, in a time in life, where numbers and, and more seems to be the emphasis, at least in our culture. There seems to be a, a blessing attached to people that have more and lack of blessing to people that have less. You know, it's come into the church in the world in which I live as a pastor. I just, last night when I was checking my mail, I threw a magazine out that, that is somebody put me on the mailing list here and, and it's all about how big your church is and how you can increase your church and what seminar you can go to and, and there's very little to speak of of just being content with the church that God is building, that Jesus said he would build his church, so just enjoy it. Serve the people with joy and gladness. But no, they print these magazines and they, they send them out. And so this is what you can do and this is what you can do. And I'm sure some of it is, is well-meaning and, and even spiritual. But here, you know, whether you attend a church with 200 people, you know, because we live in a day and age where a church of 200 adults seems to be more important of a church of five adults. And it's not. The church is the church. 
whether they're gathering in larger groups or in smaller groups, the church is the church. And we get lost sometimes in a culture that values more. You know, if I just had a bigger house, I'd feel more valuable. If I had a bigger car, I'd feel more valuable. If I had more, number, more money in the bank, I'd feel more valuable and more secure. But all those things are getting in the way of your safety and security that's found in only a relationship with the Father. All that stuff is going to pass away. It's not going to last. Whether it's the church or it's our culture, we live in a culture that seems to think, well, you know, if I live in a 10,000 square foot house, I must, I must be much more important than renting a 10 by 10 room in someone's house. And God would tell you today, no, he loves you the same. He doesn't see things like that. You know, we think of these large uh, movements, large crusades like, like Greg Glory, when he can pack a stadium of 40,000 people and 5,000 people respond to the gospel or, or Billy Graham or Franklin Graham, Billy Graham in the day or Franklin Graham now where you can gather thousands of people at one time and I, believe me, I support that and I think it's great to fill a stadium to preach the gospel and bring your friends to. I think it's great and when those 5,000 people get up from their seats and they come down on the field, I want you to know something. God is working in their lives one at a time. They might add up to more but the Bible even puts it so clear that the angels in heaven rejoice over even one that repents. Why? because Jesus always sees the one. Follow his life. One of the conclusions you'll come to in his life is that Jesus was rarely, if ever, I would even go too far say never impressed with the crowds. And he had a lot of crowds. He was drawing a lot of people to follow him. You, you never have an example of, like after the feeding of the 5,000, and you never have an example in the scriptures of Jesus saying, hey, Peter, did you, how many people were there? Was it 5,000? Are you 5,000? That's the biggest draw that we've ever had. I hope next time it's 10,000. Never. The ministry of Jesus seemed to be that he was willing to tell the truth at the expense of people not liking him and leaving him. So much so we have that time in John chapter 6 that we studied earlier that he said a few hard things and in John chapter 6 verse 66 it says that many of his disciples followed him no more. They didn't like what he said. Thank God for the one because you're the one and I'm the one. We're not just a number of 7.21 billion, you have a name, you have a calling, you have spiritual gifts, you have purpose, God is working his will out in your lives, and you can trust him. Isn't it interesting how much is thrown our way to undermine our faith and trust in God who saved us, and the present will of God for our lives? It seems like there's always gotta be something more or someone else, but thank God for the one. That's all that was needed to care for Jesus' mom, mom and take care of her. Don't let crowds and numbers impress you so much. God is still saving men and women today one at a time, one by one. You look back to the ministry in the beginning, lots of crowds were following him, feedings and miracles and healings. Yet as time went on, Jesus began to share hard things and the number of those following him decreased more and more. Only 70 shared the gospel of the kingdom. Only 12 left everything to follow him. Only three were at the Mount of Transfiguration. And of the three, only one of them would be at the foot of the cross along with these other women, including Jesus, mom, Mary. 
the numbers seem to go down farther along Jesus serve, not up. The power of one. You are the church, church. You're not the church because you gathered in a building today. You are the church. You are the church. I'm reminded of this all the time. You are the church whether you realize it or not. You are the church whether you're ready or not. You are the church. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Uh, just this week, I was up in the Lowry area. I haven't been up there in a long time doing a hospital visit at a rehabilitation hospital. A friend of the ministry, a friend of our fellowship from Answers in Genesis with Ken Ham, his dad lives, he lives in California, but his dad lives here in Aurora, uh, a pastor. Uh, he has a radio program in Spanish where he answers questions on one of the Spanish-speaking stations here in the metro area. And I got a call, a text really, to say, hey man, can you go see my dad? Now, other pastors had gone to visit him, so I went as well. And I drove up there and was in a hurry going from appointment to appointment. And I went up there and I had a glorious time with him. It was wonderful. Talking about ministry, talking about life. So encouraged uh, by him. I'm sure he was encouraged by me as we talked about hope and what God is doing in his life. And there he was sitting in that, sitting in that room all alone, expressing himself with someone that came to visit. Now, I didn't do it this time because I had another appointment after that, but when I'm walking through hospitals and I'm walking through, there are people all throughout that, all throughout that area that would love a visit, would love somebody to come in and pray with them. Just love someone to come and say, are you doing okay? Because if you peek through some of the doors that were open, there's a lot of sterile rooms with somebody laying in there, sitting there with the TV on, and their family's not visiting them. Family does not, hasn't been there in a while or is out of state and would love a visit. You know, that, that's something that anyone listening to my voice could do. Anyone could walk in and with the permission of the nurses could minister to people and just love on them and talk to them and be an encouragement to them. And so I left there and I'm kind of lost and I don't know the area very well and I notice my car, I'm out of gas. And I don't mean that it's the little gas light came on and it's touching the E. For my little needle there, you could see the gap between the white line and the needle. And I know Marie always tells me, Ed, I'll get 30 miles. I don't know how many more miles I get on empty. And I'm starting to stress out. And Siri's not helping me, so I'm mad at Siri. And I'm going to run out of gas. There's no, I go this way, there's no gas. And now I'm going the next way. And finally, I just decide take a deep breath, and I stop, and I say, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. Because if I'm going to run out of gas and wait for AAA, I want a cup of coffee right where I'm at. So I pull in to the, I see a coffee shop. I pull in. I come in. I park. And I go in, and I'm just kind of zoning out, and I'm a little upset. I'm, I just had a great visit, and now I'm kind of worried. I'm like, what's going to happen? I have somewhere else to be, and now I ran out of gas, and now I'm not going to be fake. I'm just going all through this, and I go in. I'm not, I'm not even thinking about the person serving. I'm just giving my order, and she asked me a question because I happen to be wearing the Philippine mission trip t-shirt that was given to me by Pastor Ian when they went to the trip. And it has a picture of those buses that they decorate and they use for transportation all throughout the Philippines. And so she asked me a question about the shirt that immediately got me out of my little funk. And I'm like, hmm, I think you're opening my mind. I'm thinking you're opening a little door here. 
And that's exactly what happened as we're talking about it and we're Googling it and we're learning what it is and showing pictures. It opened an opportunity to share the gospel with her and then with her coworker. And it's like, man, Lord, you are so good. You don't even have to be ready. You don't even have to be in the zone. You don't even have to walk in and go, okay, I'm, I'm going to save every single person in Starbucks today because I'm going to go in and I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. Whew, I'm going to stand on the desk and say, hello, you bunch of sinners. God sent me here. You're not going to do that. I mean, nobody does that, not anymore, hopefully. But you might just be happen to have a, a shirt on. Or you might just see someone in something in someone's eye. Or you might just have the Holy Spirit apprehend your heart where you're desperate to get gas, but that little desire to have a cup of coffee, and that happens to be the closest shop, and it's right there. I can't find gas, but I can find coffee. And you just pull in, and you go in, and God had an appointment there. I wasn't in the pulpit here. I didn't even have a Bible on me. I had my phone, but my Bible was in the car. I didn't take it out into Starbucks. I was just one. But one can make a difference. And one times one times one in normal mathematics, is just one. But in the spiritual realm, one times one times one multiplies the love of Jesus Christ throughout a city that needs to hear of hope and help. And you're one. Yeah, I know you're one of 7.21 billion people on the planet Earth, but you're one and you're an important one. You're vital to the ministry. You're vital to the ministry of Jesus Christ on the earth today. One is important to God. You're not forgotten by God today. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't brought you this far so that you might, he might let you go into failure and, and, and destruction. There isn't anything that's happened in your life that God isn't working together for the good for you because you as one affect another one and affect another one in your friends, and your family, and your life. And so God would have us to be reminded today, just like with Jesus caring for his mom, Jesus cares for you because you're a part of his family, a new family. Yeah, he didn't ask his half-brothers and sisters to do this. He didn't even ask, ask Mary's sister. He didn't even ask his own blood family relation. No, he asked someone from a new family, the spiritual family of God. The church, unfortunately, has been recast as an institution. But we're not an institution. We're the family of God. And every true church that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is part of our family. Every pastor that's preaching the gospel this morning and its power and its boldness and it is part of the family. They may be in a different local body. They may even disagree on a few secondary things and we may disagree with them, but we're the body. There'll be no disagreements in heaven. I'm looking forward to that. There'll be no disagreements in heaven. There'll be no slander or gossip or backbite. None of the stuff that we have to deal with now I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to being in the presence of the Lord, to having all of his promises fulfilled. But until then, I'm looking forward to being used by God. I'm looking forward to being significant as one, just me. Just me, my life, and then your life, and then your life. And before you know it, a movement's happening 
of the Holy Spirit. And we're not thinking of ourselves under the pain and agony of our lives, but we're thinking of others. We're serving others. We're countercultural. We look different. We sound different. And we act different. Why? Because like Simeon, we have the promises of God. And we quote them, we stand on them, and we sing them, and we do them. We live out on them. So Father, thank you for the privilege of growing and learning today and and, and every single episode that is unfolded in the Bible reminds us of your love for us, how you care, reminds us that even in intense times of pain and difficulty, that you, by your spirit inside of us, can help us to love others. Because sometimes even in pain and agony, we start thinking, well, where is everybody? Where is everybody and where is everybody uh, helping me? But no, 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 no. Father, you want us to be a, a vessel to help others. And, help, and, and Lord, we just pray for your, uh, for your strength and your mercy on us today. Would you forgive us, please, Lord? As a church family, would you forgive us? Those listening on the radio maybe or on the internet, would you forgive us for being self-absorbed at times? I know you have compassion on us and I know you love us as a dad. And I also know when I'm self-absorbed, I'm in sin against you. I've separated myself from intimacy with you. Other people around me have to pay the price for the consequences of my sin. And would you forgive us? Would you break us, Lord, and humble us before you? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, fresh and anew today, that we might leave here with boldness? God, I know there's a lot going on in this room. Some of it I know and some of it I don't know. It doesn't really matter if I know or not, God. I pray you would comfort those. You're the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. And, and I mean, none of us want to go through trials. None of us really want, but, but it's life. And I pray for some that the trial would just be over. I know, I know I pray for a brother that's just so tired. He's been working so hard, nonstop, Lord, that you'd give him rest. You'd give him rest. There's been marriage tension. It's just so hard, Lord. You'd give peace. There's just been disobedience, not sharing your love with others. Lord, would you open the mouth? Would you make yourself known among us? Have your way with us. That we might be a people unified in the Spirit. Living out your word. The gospel is for you to reveal to us how you want relationship. Build that relationship among us, Lord. Let us be a people that rise to the occasion, the power of one, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.